Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Morality of Everyday Things. Sorry, it's been a little while. We've had a bit of a hectic uh, month over at you know, our day jobs. Mm. Relevantly, it was Earth Day recently. Uh, I say relevantly because this whole, this whole episode is going to be about climate change. Well, it's going to pertain to climate change. Jacob, what is this week's question? Is it wrong to have children in an era of climate change? Mm. Interesting one. God, I wish I'd read the notes. Well, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, uh, we do run a carbon offsetting and tree planting website. A platform called treepoints.green that's obviously kept us really busy in the build-up to earth day we had a bunch of great launches um i'm actually for those watching the video i'm wearing one of our partners of clothing brands altered clothing shout out. solid shout out and uh put a bunch of integrations live it's just been a crazy busy month and then also uh, the other thing we do stash has been picking up if you are a regular listener a listener let us know your love will make us Post more regularly, <laughs> like, a, like a like a dog that just needs to be petted to know that it, that you care. We, we um, crave that validation. It's what it's all about. And please leave reviews for anyone who's new. The Morality of Everyday Things is a podcast where we discuss everyday morality. Uh, Jake and I, longtime friends, studied together at Oxford University. Technically, only I studied philosophy, but Jake's okay. You know, he has, <laughs> you know, a couple of module in ethics yeah. once. And, and even then, I did pretty. I, you know, I mostly focused on the politics and economics, but yeah, you know, whatever. I can we we can let that slide. Jake, Set us up for today's question. All right, all right. So, question was, is it wrong to have children in an era of climate change? And what we like to do normally is break down definitions. I thought before we get into that, it's a provocative question. And do you have any thoughts just up front? I'm happy to share my views. But before, before like digging into this and like take this as if I just asked you fresh. Yeah, it's just like you're not allowed to say anything. It's yes or no. Yeah. Uh, I feel like my answer is no. Okay. Why? As in no, it is not wrong. Surface, why? What's high level? I feel like as soon as you say this, my first thought is antinatalist arguments, which I just kind of don't vibe with. Mm-hmm. Vibe. As with the many things, like the real answer is a bit more nuanced. I think I think it's a legitimate consideration. And to be fair, even the antinatalist argument will discuss. Like there are there are times when it's not irrelevant. But I mean, my my overall thing is like you know, if should you be agonizing over having one or two children, uh, which you know for a lot of people is is, is you know, probably one of the most fulfilling things they can do with their life. It's a major, major life decision. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, like literally evolutionary in an evolutionary perspective, like the thing that we are programmed to want to do. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that you necessarily have to give up one of the most important things in your life. I, I think the truth is that tackling climate change in an effective way is a large process that involves making sure that we can do that without making life unlivable. I mean, like, you know, you could make the argument that, hey, we should kill everyone in that all solve climate change but that's you know that's obviously like a re- the point of the problem is that we want to find acceptable ways of dealing with it not ridiculously extreme ways that are perhaps even worse than the uh other than again it is you know should it should it be a consideration not should it you know should there be a rule that you will be banned from having children and what you just said is i think like that's the first thing i thought of when i was looking into this question is i feel like it unravels logically like if the reason not to struggles kids, with that, then what's that? You probably struggled with that. <laughs> if the reason not to have kids, idiot. Oh, mate, come on, not in front of all my friends. <laughs> if if the reason not to have kids is to prevent climate change from getting worse, because climate change is going to kill us all, then not having kids is <laughs> can't, kill us, all. can't <laughs> kill us if we don't exist. <laughs> yeah, it has a flavor of that. Yeah, I feel I mean, like it I, doesn't well, stand up to Kant's point as well. Like I, you, you couldn't make it. A universal rule you you wouldn't wish for it to be a max unless to be fair unless you're a hardcore antinatalist and we we'll, we'll well, i mean you could have a thing like 
you shouldn't have children unless the earth can sustain them. That's a universal, that's, that's universal the thing you can make a maxim. Yeah. And also, who cares if Kant doesn't like it? That doesn't mean it's not right. Um, <laughs> I've listened to too many, I've listened to a bunch of philosophy podcasts recently, and there are all these PhDs. I think the funniest thing is when you turn morality from like a practical thing that people discuss mm-hmm. to, to like this thing that supposedly someone can be an expert in, as if it's, as if there's some sort of like deep level of, of objectivity that they have simply studied more. Mm. Oh, I don't know. It's like professional ethicists. What do they do? It, yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, when the government's like, have called in these professional bioethicists, it's okay. Bioethicists will solve the, uh, you yeah. know, the CRISPR debates. It's like, really? Like, <laughs> how's that going to help? Oh, thank God. Somebody's talked about it a lot. <laughs> Arlene, and I mean, part of the reason we like to do this is because I think morality is at its most interesting when it's questions that pertain to our everyday lives. And obviously, this is a big one. Having the decision to have kids is a major decision yeah. that people uh, may it, choose. It sounds very fairy, but I've had a couple of mates genuinely. I mean, one guy I think was talking nonsense, but I know him. I was like, yeah, sure, mate. So I, I've had mates genuinely talk about, like, you know, on the extreme side, oh, maybe I shouldn't have kids to, oh, maybe I'll adopt. Mm. And then, the kind of the you know the one that's most I think most feasible will come to this is like I think I might have fewer kids mm-hmm. uh, and you know I'm also thinking like you're saying because it's it's because of climate change but I know it's because millennials actually don't have money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same. I know of people who are, yeah at that stage in life and talking about climate like it's including, old. <laughs> including climate change in that. How old are you? Uh, Twenty seven. Thirty seven. <laughs> what? Uh, okay that was the sound of jake balding <laughs> <laughs> let's crack right on into what we normally do at the beginning which is break down the question into definitions not a hell of a lot to define here i think it's actually fairly straightforward everyone knows what kids are <laughs> <laughs> and um climate change i think again we, we won't get too much into what it is i take it fairly for granted that people are familiar with it we can we yeah. can go into some of the effects and why it's relevant to this question yeah we'll just well i mean we'll take it that it's you know man-made climate change and that um yes you know that it will have catastrophic trophic effects within you know unfettered it will have catastrophic effects within actually a reasonable horizon catastrophic mm-hmm. to be fair i think one thing that's not very clear that people talk about is this whole two degree thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not that if we hit two degrees, everyone dies, right? It's not like <laughs> immediately. Yeah, just it's like not like a doomsday event, right? <laughs> if we hit the two, it's not going to be like just at the peak of like a then drop. Like more likely, it's going to be continuing. And mm. you know, certain factors like extreme weather, desertification, like the flooding of coastal cities will get worse and worse. One thing I do debate is this kind of equating climate change with you know the death of, of the entirety of humanity, or even the death of the planet. Like I think as what's his name. Attenborough. Attenborough correctly put, like, actually, the planet will the planet will be just fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the planet's lived through ice ages. It's lived through, like, all sorts yeah. of ridiculous Hardier things. Hardier than some stupid people who've only been around for tens of thousands of years. It's been around for billions. Yeah. There's that Completely theory. Part in space. <laughs> There's that theory, and I can't remember if it's called Gaia theory or, or something like that, but he basically posits that the Earth is a living organism and humans are kind of like microbes on its surface, and... Ooh, effectively, yeah, it's, it's that sort of metaphor that humanity has made the earth sick and then the earth will sort of eventually expel us. Is that and, just metaphorical and semantics? Or, I mean, how many shrooms were you on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the world man is just all connected. <laughs> <laughs> we are literally all one. Um, uh, yeah, yeah I, don't know, I don't know how much that's just metaphorical. I think there are people who literally believe the earth is alive. Yeah. Anyway, by the by, let's jump into the next phase. Why? Let's well. Let's give this question some structure. What's it asking? Why would it be wrong to have kids? 
Mm. I think there are two reasons. Then this is how we'll break down the answer. The first reason why it'd be wrong to have kids in the era of climate change mm-hmm. is because it would be cruel to bring children into what we've essentially yeah. defined as a doomed world. So that's that's something that we'll dig into deeper because outside of climate change, that has a rich philosophical mm-hmm. history. So the the main the main thing is that you would be doing a disservice to the child yeah. in that context, right? It would be doing them harm. Yeah, uh, and I guess you could find analogies of like, you know, in the in the widest sense, you know, having a child when you're not prepared to to handle the child. Um, yeah. I, I suppose it's part of the reason why people, you know, don't want irresponsible young people having children or take issue with that. Uh, despite the fact that they may acknowledge their right to do that or, you know, people who say, for example, are drug addicts or, or in some position where their ability to raise a child effectively is compromised. Sure. Um, okay. So that's, again, this is tying it specifically to the climate change question, though. So it's you would be dooming these child children to a world that would be difficult because of climate change. Because it would be a bit hot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, I actually think that that's relatively weak because, like I said, it's taking a little bit too much. Like the climate change, climate change is super significant. But again, it's taking it more like a two degrees and suddenly it like 90% of people die and the other 10% live in like a Mad Max style wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> You refer to a Mad Max style wasteland really often, I've noticed. Yeah, that's like a good analogy yeah. or like metaphor or whatever. Um, but still, right. that's, that's, that's the essence of the first argument. It would be cruel to children. The second argument is sort of, I don't know, it's consequentialist. It sort of flips the issue on its head. It's saying the reason it would be wrong to have children is because having children contributes to the issue of climate change itself. Mm-hmm. So actually so be exacerbating the problem. Yeah, so if you think about your footprint, uh, you could think of your footprint as what you are responsible for and what your dependents are for. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, a lot of people will say that they take responsibility for their pet, right? Mm-hmm. And again, like the other one, it's so not one that we considered in the pet argument, but that could be an argument against pets. Like it's, it's unnecessarily increasing your footprint by 30-ish percent or whatever it is that pets are. So the argument is basically more people means more consumption, more consumption means more emissions, and more emissions means climate change gets worse faster. Exactly that. And I suppose you can think about it in terms of harm as the first argument is you're bringing harm to your future children. The second mm-hmm. argument is you're causing harm to society. Yeah, you're, you're causing public harm. Um, very distinct, though, because the first one is basically antinatalism. Yes. Um, and the second one is more of a, um, what was the term, problem of the tragedy of the commons? Yeah, it kind of is yeah. a tragedy of the commons. I mean, yeah. everyone, everyone want, you know, probably wants to have children, but you know, there's not enough resource for everyone to have as many children as they want necessarily mm-hmm. i mean we can argue whether that's uh, like actually correct or not we'll refer to malthus i'm sure for anyone who doesn't know uh dope dope little economist from mm-hmm. some, 1800s i think or something like that yeah yeah i mean he was wrong as hell but i mean <laughs> like, but you know what like credit to him it was still a cool theory that has some learnings and just just it, it, it's 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 bad induction to say that because he was wrong once I heard someone else say this in a similar podcast. I don't want to copy other people's things. Forget about them. But yeah, just because he was wrong at that time doesn't mean it's never it never pertains to the truth. There's some underlying sort of wisdom in the principle, right? And I think wisdom. the fact that he, I don't know, the fact his ideas live on so long after his time. Yes, yeah, no, no, no. Right. I mean, it has it has a fair point, and we'll come to this. So you've got the structure. We'll look at those two arguments one after the other. Let's go into the first one: the cruelty to children argument. And I think probably a fair place to start is why do people have children and is there a moral basis for it? Is it 
a right that people Ooh. have. Now, what? technically, technically, it is. Technically, it's recognized as a human right. It's actually Article 12, the right to marry and Man. start a family. What the UN says is a human right and what are like objective human rights are not necessarily synonymous. Okay, This is true. We shouldn't take this as the basis of morality, yeah. but it's an the interesting UN says so, so it is. <laughs> Uh, but no, I acknowledge your point. They say it is. Um, I mean, there are some there are some obvious caveats to that. I mean, the the right to procreate and have a fa- or mar- it says to marry and start a family. To marry and start a family. Um, ooh, that's open to a lot of interpretation. But I mean, my immediate impression is: what if people who have the physical impediment that stops them having their own children? Why do we make it so much harder for them to start a family than we do? Say, you know, I mean, again, I'm using extremes. I'm not characterizing this as typical, but like. You can have two 16-year-olds who are addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. They can have babies, as many as they want. Like, they have that, the right to do that. And yet, when we think about a gay couple, homosexual couples, it's so much harder. So, you know, okay, whatever. They say Article 12, the right for people to marry sort of family. I don't think that that's actually re- reflected. I think a lot of it is down to circumstance of what people can actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, you also touched on why. Why do you think people are, I mean, how can you answer that beyond, like, an innate drive like well, it's interesting because it is obviously an innate drive the drive to procreate is kind of programmed to mm. use the word you used it's programmed into our genes i mean yeah. dawkins's selfish gene was basically positing that we are just like biological code and, and we're just trying to propagate our code yeah and as long as we fulfill that by having babies we're <laughs> we're on track and and um and the genes are do we have anything deeper to say there well yeah i think so because i think actually uh, one of the features of human evolution is that we're less subject to our basic urges you know we develop capacity for reason we develop capacity for morality and it's telling that as societies become more developed quote unquote birth rates and population growth decline and there's a few factors there, I think. I think one thing is it's a result of medical advances. Mm-hmm. There's less risk of for mortality, and that's just a practical thing. You need yeah. to have fewer kids. Changes in cost of living are possibly a factor too. But I also think part of the reason people have kids and the reason people adopt is because it's not really just about passing on your genes. It's, it's about having the experience and joy of having a family and raising a child. My question to you is, mm-hmm. you said birth rates drop, right? Yeah. But that, remember, birth rates is like average number of children for average number of adults, mm-hmm. right? And it's definitely true that birth rates drop, you know, as in families have fewer kids. And that's because of infant mortality, as you said, so, you know, many will say, um, and, and also more control. Um, but for the perception, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, control to contraception. My, 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 I wonder to what extent, to what extent might it be the case that maybe more developed countries see the rate of people starting families higher, but the average number of children per family significantly lower. Uh, to be fair, though, then I think about the kind of the career-driven, mm. I don't know, like Western world and like how, you know, fat, starting families kind of falls to the wayside. I don't know. My, my point there is that like, don't, I wouldn't just take like, oh, more educated people don't want children because of the, uh, because of the infancy, what, what's, what's the term, sorry? Infant uh, birth rates. Birth birth rate. because, because of, Fertility rate. Just because fertility rates drop, it's also because people have less kids. That doesn't that doesn't measure. Yeah, that doesn't measure the desiring kids. Family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's you're not looking at like the sort of binary variable of family, yes or no. You're looking, you're looking at, at number of children number of kids family. and that that it's like a weighted average, I guess. So if you've got a family with like ten kids, that's bringing up the average more. Than, yeah, and yeah. if you know that forty percent of your children will die, mm. and it's very important that you have one or two children, particularly to take care of you, um, maybe more than. It possibly, I, yeah, I was thinking about this too. It possibly reflects a changing attitude towards children as well. 
So in the West, we find them annoying. <laughs> we respect them as autonomous beings as opposed to just resources. Like, I, mean, I, mean, I, I mean, I appreciate that you're a human being and that's why I don't spank your bottom. <laughs> I don't know if this is just an unfair characterization of like Victorian kids from like Dickens or I don't know, just like history. Nazis. As everyone knows, an accurate portal into the past. Yeah, like, but you know, in, in Victorian society, it felt like kids were basically just like labor resources you know mm. uh, whereas now i mean you you look at kids as like now they're work <laughs> they used to work now they are work <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like pets animals where, yeah you know, animals used to use labor, labor and now we lavish them with sort of care attention yeah. and um, because Instagram life is meaningless and we find some meaning in that mm. fur babies um but okay we've talked about why people have kids. actually one thing though so you said the right to to marry and start a family family mm. Right, family doesn't necessarily mean having children, does it? Some people might consider their partner and their pet family. I think that's fair, and it's certainly it definitely includes adoption and like other. Yeah, it do, it doesn't mean having your own children. No. Okay, carry on. Okay, so I think that leads us quite neatly onto the question of what is antinatalism and why is it a movement? We've established some fairly clear reasons why people like to have kids. Why it's a thing. Yes. <laughs> so anti-anti-antinavalism <laughs> is when you're against the use of boats in military. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's navalism. Um, antinatalism. You, you go on, mate. You go. Okay. Antinatalism is. Well, I think it's actually it's easily misunderstood. Strictly, it's the philosophy that additional births have a negative impact on society, and I guess the sort of argument underpinning that is that. Life is full of suffering and strife and misery. The moments of happiness and pleasure are few and transitory and elusive. And ultimately, it all ends in death. I think I've sort of paraphrased this guy called David Benatar, who's one of the main philosophers behind. Jacob, can I just, can I call you up there? You said that it was bad for society. Yeah. You, is that, is that like some sort of specific definition that you found or, cause I feel like, I feel like the takeaway should be that it's bad for the child, right? Good question. And then you specified that, that, that life is difficult, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds like you're referring specifically to the child. So it's, it yeah. sounds like the argument there is it's unfair on the child to birth them. So yeah, the Benatar quote definitely makes that point clear. The philosophy as defined antinatalists are adherents of the belief that human beings are a destructive force to the earth and therefore it's morally wrong to create more of them. Which I guess you're right. It's it's kind of that's two different things. They're they're distinct. Does it, that's weird that it says specifically to the Earth. Like, what if we can set up life sustaining colonies in space on other planets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> um, <laughs> then what on Earth? Yeah. Or I mean, the obvious the obvious point to the the antinatalism argument that you you mentioned, like logical extreme of there being no people. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, what if you run it to the point where population reaches a sustainable level, ignoring the fact that that you know it would create a huge economic issue if we suddenly had like a generation that was smaller. Mm. You know, it would be like big, small, big, and suddenly we'd have all these old people to support. That's but, a very um, good point. Because you're right. If, if you're looking at it just on a sort of environmental or social level, you'd think that sustainability is the kind of threshold, right? Like if, if it's not harmful to the earth, then it's okay to create more humans. Whereas if you look at Benatar's thing, he's like, no, you're screwing people by giving birth to them. They can't consent to being born. Yep. And therefore... That's a crucial point. People I think, yeah, it's a key distinction. Consent. It, it's you giving someone something. So I think, I think a nice analogy that I literally just came up with would be like, it's a bit like gifting someone a billion dollars, right? Because I think the argument is that like, in a sense, you know, say, say you're a hundred billionaire and you're like, I 
I get happy by by making other people rich, and you're gifting money to other people, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but you know, there's plenty of studies that show that you know when people receive large windfalls, it actually makes them unhappy. Um, it, you know, it, people who win the lottery tend to un- end up either equally happy or or less happy when that windfall happens. So it it could be something like that, whereby like you think that you're giving them so much benefit that surely it is a positive thing, even if they can't consent to it. But the argument actually is that in practice, we see that's not the case. You know, if we can't, you know, in this circumstance of babies, you know, they can't rationalize it or consent to it until they're 18 plus. Um, And if we know that on average, they're actually suffering because of it, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Um, I mean, it reminds me so much. Uh, we'll probably have to stick this in the show notes or something. But there's that meme you once showed me of the little cheetah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> looking at the mother cheetah like, why did you bring me into this world, mother? Just bring wood into a burning house. <laughs> <laughs> Look me in the eyes when I talk to you. <laughs> so good. Such a cute little cheetah. So I think one fundamental thing that everyone, I say everyone, sorry, some people will immediately pick up on. And I feel like I'm, I'm one of these people is that when I think about the sum of my life, Mm-hmm. I do not feel that the sum of the positive parts is not enough to counteract the negative parts. I, I'd say I generally enjoy my life. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's it's distinct though because it's not saying like, oh, my life is terrible. It, it, to to have never had the life is also to not have the the worry of of doing that summation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, something kind of subtly different there. He makes the point, to be fair, he's like, this isn't the same thing as saying life is not worth living. So the fact that you don't think you should bring kids into the world is not to say that life isn't worth living. Because if you happen to be alive, it faces the problem you just described of like, you're, you're alive and then actually, it, it, well, I mean, you're about to come to this, I imagine, but like, why don't antinatalists just commit suicide? Yeah. And also, I mean, could you not, could you not make a twisted argument where it's like, oh, if- you know, the best thing you can do to reduce your footprint is to is to end your life because then mm. you stop consuming. Although then your body will rot and re- emit CO- <laughs> emit CO two. Um, you you have carbon. to commit suicide in the freezer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess the obvious like follow on then is like if you feel this way, I feel like a kind of economical opportunity cost view would be like the same argument seems to justify just ending your life. Both mm. both the antinatalist our life is suffering point and the um what was the other one and the climate change perspective right like mm-hmm. i think the point is that obviously we want to find solutions that are not so horrible that they kind of diminish what it is to live and a lot of people would agree that the the right and pleasure of having a family is one of the greatest joys in life mm-hmm. uh, that said my parents raised me they never say that <laughs> that's definitely, definitely different. Like, you know, the, some people win the lottery, some people get me. <laughs> I think abuse is one of the, you know, it's one of the best expressions of love. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, to clarify, my parents did not abuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Loving abuse. <laughs> you know, just, just the emotional kind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but, moving on. So well, well, let's, let's, let's think about that then. I, I think there is a distinction, to be fair, for what it's worth between to say that life is not worth living is different to saying it would have been better not to have been born in the first place. Okay. I wonder if it's kind of sunk cost, but you're basically saying like, I'm here now and therefore you, you sort of strive to find meaning as opposed to, but you can still acknowledge I'd rather not have been here. Maybe it's like taking a bad holiday. I'd rather not have gone on holiday, but now that I'm here, I'm not going to like fly home, fly home immediately. <laughs> Terrible analogy. Maybe there's something in that. Anyway. Well, so, yeah, I know that makes sense. Like the, the cost of ending it immediately is, is painful in the case of holiday. 
it's or painful or scary in the case of the holiday. It's like having to tell everyone, booking the flight, you know, paying for it short notice. And obviously, you know, in the kind of in the life metaphor, it's it's not a metaphor; it's literal. Uh, it, it's painful ending it because then yeah, you yeah. put this burden on someone. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Just a, a couple of notes there. I think so. So a lot of that. Do you think that that is synonymous with saying life is meaningless? To say that life is more suffering than pleasure? No, I don't think so. I think so, different things. Is, is that how is that related to antinatalism? Genuinely asking. I, I didn't read up on that specific element. Uh, how are they related? Do so, antinatalists believe that life is meaningless? Is that a, a, is that a substantial no, part of it? No, not necessarily. I don't because I don't. I don't think the conclusion of antinatalism is oh weird. It, it does sound quite nihilistic, right? It, it sounds, sounds like nihilistic. But I, I feel like it's the reason antinatalists aren't like all sort of forming suicide packs is that they it, it, maybe it's a little bit like the absurdists, right? There's there's meaning to be had in the suffering, but you sort of have this view that it would be better not to have suffered at all. Yeah. Well, no, I feel like the absurdists, uh, like absurdism would, would take the point that like you can form your own meaning. And so, and so it's definitely a good thing to bring people into life and it would be more their fault. I, I yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not an expert in this. We're, we're armchair philosophers. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like their stance may be that it would be more your fault for not realizing or accepting the absurdity of life and finding your own meaning. That's um, definitely meaning in that absurdity. Yeah, that's definitely the kind of Camus style yeah. thing, right? So just yeah, Camus, yeah. famous philosopher, existentialist, yeah. absurdist, as you say. Um, so it's not it's not it's not the gods' fault for punishing Sisyphus. It's Sisyphus's fault for not finding meaning in what life he has. Which is uh, that sort of famous ending line of the myth of Sisyphus. So it's a book by Camus for anyone who doesn't know. Who he talks about the Greek myth, um, the myth of Sisyphus. Sisyphus is the guy who was condemned to roll a rock up a hill. And every time he got to the top, the rock would be, uh, was it made to roll out? The rock rolls back down to the bottom. Yeah. He has to go back down the hill and roll it back up again. And That's it. Yeah. It's just a metaphor for the absurdity of life because I think a lot of religions in particular and, and a lot of people want to believe that life has a kind of inherent purpose to mm. it. There's the sense that like you have a purpose that you're destined to fulfill and actually declare, like I think the sort of underpinning struggle behind existentialism and, and the claim that Camus makes is that actually such inherent meaning doesn't exist. It's not given to you. You yeah. kind of have to go and strive for your own. And yeah. that's absurd. There is no objective meaning. Yes. It, but you can, you can inject life with your own meaning. And he has this kind of wry line at the end of Sisyphus where he's like, he describes the moment where Sisyphus has got to the top and then the rock rolls back down and Sisyphus like turns and looks at the sunset or something or looks at the rock rolling down. He's like, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. He has like a wry smile in his face or something. It's just like, you kind of embrace the ridiculousness. Yeah. And it's an absurdism. Mm -hmm. um, but so then saying, do antinatalists think that there's no meaning to life? It feels like it has to be the logical conclusion because the, the logical conclusion of like the extreme antinatalists, much of the climate change antinatalists, is that no one would exist anymore, right? I agree. And and I mean, meaning and, and pleasure, pain are, are different things, mm -hmm. I guess. They're different dimensions to life. Yeah. But you're, I, I feel like you could you could live a life of suffering, fill it with meaning, and therefore still deem it worth living. Mm -hmm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I remember I had a very strange feeling. I was reading... I was reading this after the curry last night. Yes, no, no, right in the in the bottom of my of my stomach. Um, or <laughs> I remember <laughs> there was there was a I can't remember there was a joke. I can't remember how the joke even goes, but I just that just reminded me there was someone said at a restaurant. I think my my dad said as a joke at a restaurant, and just it fell flat, and no one liked it. It was like, how do you feel about your wife? And he says. I love her from the bottom of my heart and the heart of my bottom. 
does that even mean? Anyway. It was just a terrible translation. I don't know. I'm sure that he'll listen to this and remind me what the actual story is. But just that specific part. Anyway, um, we're talking about meaning. I, I was reading um, another, another name. For those who haven't listened to every episode yet, I'm a fan of Vonnegut. And also, mm. I didn't grow up in America, so I wasn't told to like him in, in, uh, in high school. I formed my own opinion. Yeah, I formed my own opinion. Like, he's actually, he's, he's very much unknown, I'd say, despite being a cult, you know, favorite. Like, he's very much unknown in the UK, I'd say. Yeah, relatively much yeah. so. Well, I mean, like, in the way that, like, if you say, you know, of Mice and Men or something, it's like, yeah, well, you know, who, who didn't read that at high school? Whereas here, like, it just very much, like, I, the average person in the UK doesn't know who he is. Cool. You've justified your taste of Monica. I'm, I'm, I'm justifying. I am not a basic, the, the reading equivalent of a basic bitch. Sorry, <laughs> um, sure, sure. Anyway, Sirens of Titan. Long story short, don't worry about the how, how or why, but a family ends up uh, on a distant moon, and it's the mother, the father, and the son. And it's funny because it did give me this distinct sense of, in that context, like what, what, what is the point of the, of the child, right? It really did feel that kind of, it, it kind of put into perspective, of like, like it, it, it diminished the argument that we're talking about down to the, the, the logical extreme, which is the last people. Mm. And there was this kind of profound sense of like, what, like, what is the point? He, he found ways to fill his life. He seemed happy, et cetera. But, you know, he's a made up character. But, um, <laughs> but it did give me a profound sense of like, geez, like there's just something so pointless about it when they existed by themselves and there was no possible way for him to be rescued or have children of his own or anything it really did bring the absurdity of his life because it was an absurd situation into sharp contract i'm glad you brought that up because actually I, I haven't read that and i didn't realize that was the case but i did have a note to bring up that thought experiment exactly that yeah. Yeah. would you would you have kids in that situation what would you do i just kind of feel like yeah so so you and your partner are trapped on a moon right yeah or, or like far off somewhere by yourself I feel like what's the point? It does then at that point bring home that argument of like condemning someone to a fate that I, I may, are we looking at that just purely through the lens of like you can live a fulfilling life with people around you and humans have that need for social interaction. If that's, yeah. if that's anything the last year or so. I mean, you could flip it around and you could have the kind of Adam and Eve argument. Kind of <laughs> gross, but like, you know, if your job is repopulating, um, <laughs> I mean, if it was like, Adam and Eve and Maria and Charlotte. <laughs> and, 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 you know, but I'm, my point there being that like, you didn't need to have to commit like direct incest. Then maybe it'd be, a, it'd be an awkward family dynamic, right? Also, what happens if it's like you, you keep going and you just keep having like one gender? Mm, tricky. Right, sorry, derailing it. My, my takeaway is actually if I was in that situation, right? Like let's say I was on the moon, right? I, I knew that it wasn't an Adam and Eve situation. Like we will fairly soon perish. Uh, like we don't have the resources or whatever, it would feel kind of pointless having a child. Does that, mm. does that then support not having children because of climate change? No, because I don't think climate change will end end the planet. I think that we'll be able to stop it. That I think is I the key. No, I, well, I, I, I think that's the key element to it. Is like, uh, so one thing worth mentioning is antinatalism is not like a new thing. This isn't a movement that's just sprung up because people are concerned about climate change. The exact same thing happened over the Cold War. People were like, oh my God, we're going to enter a nuclear holocaust. Is it wrong to bring children into this world of nuclear weapons and nuclear warfare? And 
I don't know, it presumably had roots before that. There have been crises before, but that was certainly... And Schopenhauer was a proponent, and he's way before the Cold War, right? Yeah, he's old. <laughs> he old. But um, that was certainly a famous recent example of when, when this movement actually got some traction. There were people who made significant life decisions based around uh, that information. So um, what was my point there? Uh, why am I telling you this then? Honestly, Jake, I wonder about that about most of the things that you tell me. <laughs> uh, what did you just ask me? It was relevant. It was definitely relevant. Wasn't that interesting, to be honest? Oh, oh we're, we're talking about climate change. So we're saying, <laughs> are we? Is that what today's episode is about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 it's all come back to me now. We were saying that how stringently you apply the antinatalist argument in the current context depends a little bit on how fatalistic you are about climate change. Is climate change the end of the world? And I'm saying people thought that in the past and thankfully they were wrong because my God, imagine if everyone stopped having babies in the Cold War, then uh, mm. then Manos and Pepe wouldn't have got together and <laughs> that was probably after the Cold War. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably quite a while. To be fair, 1994, the year I was born, also yeah. the year the Berlin Wall fell down. So actually they got together before it ended oh, technically. Yeah, 1989, mate. Huh? Done in 1989. Is that true? Yeah. I thought I was born the same year as... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> You've been living a lie, I'm sorry. Fuck yeah. What the hell? Uh, oh, you know what? It's when it was finished, when they finished demolishing it. <laughs> it's it not says, the same thing, is it? No, no. It says, it says, weirdly, it says demolished 9th November 1989 to 1994. Okay. All right. How the hell did I get that fact so wrong? <laughs> so they finished demolishing the Berlin Wall the same year I was born. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Anyway. Anyway. So yeah, it's a good thing that people didn't stop having kids in the Cold War. And I think I think you could probably make the same case quite strongly here. Okay. But I think that's probably a good time to wrap up antinatalism. We've done the thought experiment, uh, but just quickly on this point, do you buy it like let's say the world was totally doomed? Mm. Do you buy the argument that then I don't even think we need to be that extreme. You know what? Thinking about it a bit. The argument that you need to be considerate of the suffering that you may impart on your child, I think is relevant. But I think, for example, I don't think that life is suffering. I don't think the world is doomed. So I don't follow the antinatalism uh, general or via climate change arguments. But I do think that, for example, are you doing something wrong by having children beyond your means? Probably. Mm. Um, but I want to be careful because that's a slippery slope to then turning the right to have children into some sort of elitist, aristocratic right. Uh, yeah. I want to be careful. Like, We really need to balance, on the one hand, making sure that that right is accessible, reasonably accessible to, to everyone. But on the other hand, like, should 16-year-olds who are heroin addicts be able to have 10 children? Uh, like, I, I mean, I'm making it sound like they should be neutered. I'm not saying that. But like, <laughs> do, I think, do I think that they might be doing something inconsiderate or wrong by having children, yes, yes. I think that's, yeah. I, th I think that they they are not being considerate of the suffering that that child might face because of their inability to adequately raise it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's a horribly controversial point of view. Yeah. So, so basically, if you are if you're in a position, uh, it could be financially, it could be you know, maybe you are just not in a position. I can't think of another example of them. Emotionally, uh, emotionally, yeah. May, I mean, maybe you have a, a history of serious mental illness. You don't have the support networks. Maybe you have a serious genetic disease. Oh, yeah, that's a... Those are all good examples of maybe you are not properly considering um, the suffering that the child might have to bear um, and whether that child 
will be able to fairly live a life. And or conversely, whether you'll be pushing the responsibility to help that child have a reasonable life onto other people. That's, yeah, that's actually, that's a fine example. That's like the HIV example, isn't it? That's really true. Oh, well, as in like, should you be able to have a, well, now, now it's not a thing, but yes, when it was a thing. When it was a thing, yeah. Okay, fair. All right, so. Wait, did, um, do you have an opinion or do you just agree? No, I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> that was easy. Wow. Um, <laughs> up next. Uh, so we said there were two arguments. Let's just zoom out a second. We said there were two arguments for why it would be wrong to have kids in the era of climate change. And we've talked about it being wrong in terms of causing suffering to your children. The second argument was that having kids actually contributes to the problem mm. of climate change. So is having kids harmful for the planet? And is it therefore, is that therefore a justification for not having children? I have a high level answer and I just don't think I'm going to change it much through discussion. Sure. Um, and this is kind of my answer to most climate change things. And, and it kind of forms, I think it's fair to say, our philosophy running a startup that fights climate change. Um, we need to take radical action. That's true, right? But I think that there's kind of two things. One, you're not going to convince people to take... You, know, you, you need to think practically about the radical actions you will be able to convince people to take. And two, we need to actually balance... Like The point of fighting climate change is to preserve you know, reasonable lives, right? If the, to if create the way, a better world. Yeah, yeah. to create a better world. If the way to do that is to enforce uh, things that are you know, going to make life significantly worse, then that actually doesn't quite stack up. And I, I get that some of that is like, oh, maybe the argument is people are underestimating the cost in the long term, which means that they are not accepting the necessary pains in the short term. And actually in the long term calculus won't add up. But I also think some of those arguments don't consider increasing interest over the coming years, increasing technology, particularly in terms of like carbon capture. Yes. Within kind of a small single digit number of decades, carbon capture should be a totally like affordable, reasonable technology. It still remains a little bit out of reach. We have mm -hmm. actual offsetting, like the stuff we do, getting mm -hmm. people onto renewable energies rather than fossil fuels. Uh, and we also have, you know, technologies that are going to help for, it's carbon capture in a sense, but it's not direct carbon capture to stop carbon release in like industrial settings and things like that. Yeah, my, my overarching point is, what's the point if it's more painful than the thing we're trying to stop? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we have to, think about practical arguments that will actually get people to be on board with, right? Mm, those are two quite distinct things. The second one is kind of the angry vegans in the 70s argument, right? Yeah. Which, for those who don't know, there's just a great outtake from um, Cowspiracy, uh, where, a, where, where a, I think, a, I can't remember what his context was, but someone was basically talking about veganism in the 70s, and he was saying the biggest mistake that they make, and I still feel this today, the biggest mistake that the vegan movement makes is presenting an absolutist perspective, right? And becoming quite an exclusive force. Yes, exactly. Because on the one hand, you know what? Like, you're probably right. But being practical, it is a better policy to encourage everyone to reduce their meat a bit. And, you know, and some people to go fully vegan if they're, if they're happy. Basically, it's better to, to, to think like, what policy impact can I actually affect? Rather than, you know, use uh, marketing strategies that, you know, guilt people eating any meat is murder, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and basically the net result is that, yes, you get some people to 100% change their diet, but the number of people you're going to get to do that is going to be, you know, low single digits. Uh, and on top of that, you're actually probably going to alienate a lot of other people. Yeah, which is key, right? Yeah. Um, and, and also the other thing is convenience. Like you need to think about how do we make, th like 
what's easier, right? Giving people incentives to, for example, counteract having children, like the, the negative effects of having extra ch- children, or trying to enforce a ban on people doing one of the most natural things that comes to human beings, right? During the way you said natural, I don't yeah. know why. Oh, natural. <laughs> made, it, made, it, made it sound sexual, right? I mean, like, just think about, think about the Chinese one-child policy, right? It's just not really enforceable. And like, also think about it for the, if you're, the, if you're born the second child, mm-hmm. like, that's not the child's fault. Like what happens to that child? And then also some weird externalities happen as well, where like suddenly like, the gender that was totally messed it's really up. Bad for girls, yeah. Well, uh, and gender equality, like it's it. Anyway, so that was my high level, and I don't think it's going to change. Go on, you. No, that's fair. That's fair. I I was going to say. I mean, the reason this gets talked about is there were some studies done. I forget when, but in the last decade, and the original studies produced some pretty stark and alarming data that having kids could be the single biggest cause of emissions in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, like I've seen graphs and it's like, you can drive an electric car, sorry, driving a car, like eating meat, all this stuff. And it's like all ticking along. And then suddenly it's like having a child and it's like, boom, yeah. it's, it's like massively, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the argument. And effectively, but I mean, there's some scientific criticism against that, right? And I, you've kind of pointed to that fact. The main criticism is they've basically kind of accounted for emissions at this point in time, assumed they'll stay constant and then like, Mm-hmm. basically spread that over a child's entire predicted life, yeah. which I think even the car and sort of stuff doesn't get that treatment. Technology is going to evolve is the point. So like if you have a child in a completely green society where all the energy is green, their footprint is neg- like negligible. It's uh, it's the same reason like or kids they in could, developing countries. They could even in a convoluted way contribute to the GDP of a country that's investing in fighting it and has like a, a, sure. a surplus of carbon capture in decades to come. Because I know for, yeah. I mean, to to... to be literal about what you're saying now, the UK is reducing its um, non-green energy share every year, right? So it's not fair to extrapolate on a basis of it being straight or, or linear. I know that, for example, Mike Berners-Lee talks about like, oh, if everyone reaches American levels of consumption, but, um, I don't know that that is the necessary end game that everyone will continue to consume. I, I, yeah, I don't think that's the trajectory. And America is actually quite unique. I mean, America and China, both a lot of countries in the world either have smaller populations or just different energy mixes. Just remind me of something else as well. Okay. And this is a kind of weird indirect argument, geopolitical factors, right? So I listened to a great podcast. Um, I think it was Matt Iglesias uh, on Rationally Speaking um, on the argument for a billion Americans, right? Not American, don't care about uh, American uh, geopolitical supremacy. But one thing to consider is, okay, the countries who overwhelmingly care about this are developed Western nations, and geopolitically, are, they are becoming less and less important over time. Um, partially, uh, like a large part of the reason that China is going to be more powerful than the U.S. is just pure numbers of people, right? Sure. Maybe the the situation in China and, and India and stuff will, will change over time. So maybe it's unfair. You know, maybe it's it's more a factor of development uh, of being you know a full developed country that your your perspective on these factors changes. But when you look at like the authoritarian position that China has at the moment and the like, and their kind of position is by far the largest emitter in the world uh, and also probably the most i want to say most greenwashy loose is that fair to say i don't know if that's oh god please don't chase me down chinese government uh, but <laughs> is, could you see a geopolitical argument where we need to be bolstering uh for in the uk or yeah, well you know the western democratic societies i mean to clarify for anyone who didn't get from that i'm uh, i'm an international relations realist and I'm a little bit concerned about the relative rise of authoritarian powers that literally have concentration camps 
and are the biggest producers by far. Uh, th- those are two facts. Uh, you know, the Uyghurs, the Uyghurs in China are in concentration camps, and China is by far the largest emissions creator. Could there be a, an argument that actually the fact that we're having this conversation it, primarily in the West is actually just going to further destabilize that geopolitical position and lead to worse outcomes? I see you're you're taking a totally yeah you're you're taking a totally different sort of view of the consequences, <laughs> and you're saying like actually there's a completely different negative outcome, or that maybe we're not going to be able to impact it if we become too relatively weak and they just decide to keep doing it. Uh, let me make one other one other sort of criticism of the argument then, which is uh, you, you've kind of got from this already, but children are more than just emitters of carbon, right? Right. They also emit poop. <laughs> they do that too, but they also emit they emit joy and meaning and hope. That was a bit cutesy. Um, I don't know Jake's secretly cutesy. <laughs> take my point that um, stop it, stop interrupting me. <laughs> um, the point is, when you're bringing a child into the world, you're not just bringing in like a new source of emissions. You're also bringing in something that will motivate you to keep pushing for the changes the world desperately needs. In or fact, a potential future climate scientist. A potential future climate scientist. And I, I think actually what drives a lot of people to care about climate change, especially older generations, they're not too worried about being around to see the effects, but they do worry for the sake of their kids and their grandkids. And they're like, actually, you know, this is a reason to, to give a crap about climate change is because it's, uh, there is that sort mm. of future outcome. So the greatest cause is also the greatest motivator. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so there you go. I can buy that. Um, yeah, I think the fundamental point that I stand by, though, is that it just, the point of fighting climate change is to preserve a good life. And if sacrificing the things that make a good life is, is how to achieve that, then I, I mean, my, my compromise is, my compromise is that we should probably have reasonable policies that, for example, you should have to make a, a super normal tax contribution that goes directly to some sort of climate fighting situation or, you know, again, that we want to be careful because that becomes like an elitist aristocracy, but you know, maybe, maybe the government, like maybe the trade kind yeah. of things, permits for children. Maybe the, maybe the government has to be funding that like, because the government has the incentive to increase population to, you know, and grow GDP and, and in, in improve their geopolitical uh, stature. Maybe the government should be funding that for every additional child that people have. Mm. Um, you, when you say additional child, are you imagining like a sort of putting a number on it, like a two-child policy, for example? Yeah, I mean, a, a situation where, I, I don't know the specific number, but like a situation where people have like some number of children that they can have without issue. A two-child policy has a certain logical appeal to it, right? Because that would be the number that just sustains a population. And you also... Uh, actually, I think the, re- the replacement rate's like just over two. It would be because, uh, to be fair, death and people who don't have kids, if you had a two-child policy, you'd actually see relative population decline. Yeah, I think it's like 2.1 is the... Again, on aggregate, that would be kind of mm. beneficial, not just from climate change point of view, but like food and other resources. Yeah. It's obviously also not what's happening. The world is tending towards overpopulation. And so therefore, it would be a step to reduce yeah. that. Yeah. So again, maybe we're biased because of our position and, and the kind of research we've done it, but I feel like it's legitimate to be worried about it. I don't think you have a, a duty to not have children. I think you probably do have a duty to, for example, um, try and reduce your footprint. Well, you have that duty anyway. It doesn't matter whether you have a child or not. But yeah. you, you have a, that duty is even more stark if you are increasing your emissions in some way. Um, and you also have a duty, I would say, 
and, and I would not be I would not be surprised if within decades it's it's actually like a kind of tax people have to pay, uh, oh, like yeah. the same way that you do on um, cars that are more emitting. I think that you could consider, for example, taking direct positive action to counteract that impact if you are particularly worried. In fact, not even if you're particularly worried. If you're not particularly worried, you should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, from my point of view, I don't really buy either argument. I think in the first case, I'm too much of an optimist to subscribe to antinatalism. I think it's... Life is like, life is It's melodramatic to say that life is riddled with suffering and therefore you shouldn't bring kids into it. And I think as well, uh, two reasons. I mean, one, I don't think... I, I think enough is being worked on with climate change and you need kids to have the potential to continue to fight it. Thus... Like it's mm. not a total doomsday. Like I, I don't think you're condemning kids to an inevitably terrible fate mm. by having them in this day and age, in spite of like you know obviously climate change. Still, there's a lot of work to do. Um, but also, yeah, I think I think it's the reason we just discussed. I think if you don't have kids, the logical extension of that is that you you know either sort of climate change wins by destroying the world, or <laughs> you it doesn't need to win because you. <laughs> you destroy the world by removing you know. humans from it. Um, but, but I think, I think, yeah, I think there's there's reasons to be skeptical on both points. However, it kind of feels like in order to stop our enemy killing us, we will kill ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's rather. Um, I think my takeaway would be if we're going to be sort of practical about it. If you're in the kind of position where you are, you you know, obviously we haven't really talked about adoption, but there's lots of kids who don't have oh, sort of, of uh, yeah. yeah yeah there's lots of kids who grow up without like sort of happy family environments who need homes and i guess if you're in the kind of position where you choose to adopt rather than have kids that's uh, an extremely noble thing to do especially if climate change is your is your sort of motive there um also for eliminating suffering in the world massively so so huge respect to anyone who, who makes that decision i think I, I can see an argument for having a sort of kids policy exactly like you discussed in mm. terms of like limiting overpopulation. But I think you're right that it needs global. Yeah. There was also a thing where they discussed, I think in the UK, a policy where like the tax on flights becomes incrementally more expensive. Maybe that's why you do it with children. It just becomes incrementally more expensive to have children. And you know what? Is having 10 kids like something that is ruled out specifically to the aristocratic elite? I think I can live with that. Like, I don't think I don't think the right to have ten children, you know, in a developed country is is so fundamental that like we're doing a great disservice to other people by saying like you can't afford it, you can't have ten kids. Although I guess the difficulty with children is what happens if people have them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what a place to end it because we're running out of uh, time on our trial. Jake, anything to add today? We are. No, I think that's a great place to end. Yeah, good to be back, everybody. Um, good to be back. Final bits of housekeeping is... Uh, Please leave a review. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Oh, leave, us a time. <laughs> <laughs> leave us a review. Uh, we have a newsletter. Please subscribe to that if you want to stay up to date with updates uh, and memes and other stuff that we'll send you. But the review is more important. Yeah. Seriously, it actually helps us. People, people like actually think we're a big deal when you do it they're like whoa people are like, oh, these guys wow lots of reviews but no if you actually enjoy it if, if you don't think we're total shit then do do it please it would be very helpful also nice. check out outed clothing it's pretty good yeah uh check out stasher check out tree points tree points especially if you're interested in climate change oh yeah I should say. Um, <laughs> check out the blog there's there's a ton of really interesting content on there we're not pushing you to go subscribe or anything but look out for us uh we're, we're working with many more businesses now you'll see tree points pop up the checkout as uh as, a, as an option to either plant trees, offset carbon, or, or recycle plastic. Uh, more, things, more things to come there. 
I think that's it. Yeah. Stay tuned, subscribe if you like it, and we'll uh, hopefully it won't be too long before we do another episode. Any ideas what we might do next time? Or no promises at this point. Bye bye. No promises at this point then. (laughs) See you later, everybody. Bye.